Okay, good morning everyone. Our Parsha class this morning is generously sponsored by Floyd and Phyllis Bernstein in memory of her father, Adolf Stern, on his Yurit site, and by Matthew and Tova Hockerman in commemoration of the 12th Yurit site of Matthew's beloved father, Henry William Hockerman Ben Abba. Should have, uh, Neshama should have an Aliyah. Thank you for your generosity and uh, sponsorship. Okay, who's still on a high from last night? That was unbelievable. Baruch Hashem, and our incredible custodians who turned this room over before you were sleeping last night. This room was uh, miraculously back together. Absolutely incredible. Okay, this week we have the privilege of studying Parshas Mishpatim together. Article page 416, the Stone Chumash. And uh, certain different Torah I mention every year. I guess you can stop coming if it gets old and boring. But uh, we try to cover new things also. But certain different Torah I think are so fundamental and foundational to the Parsha that they strike me every year. And I guess the words of the Parsha don't change, so I don't have to feel bad. Hashem has us reading the same Parsha every year. Certain Divrei Torah that jump off the page from the Parsha can also be repeated every year. And one of them is the significance, the importance of the very opening word. And in fact, it's not the opening word, even the very opening letter of the opening word, which I think is the most important, says everything about this Parsha. And that is Ve'elah HaMishpatim. Ve, the Vav. Why the Vav? Rashi here quotes, Anytime it says Ela, these, you seek to undo what came earlier. But Ve'ela, when you have the Vav, Mosef al the Vav comes not to negate or rebut or take away from what came earlier. The Vav comes, it's an extension, it's adding. So what is the Vav doing? We all know, as children, we learned we cannot begin a sentence with the word and. You also shouldn't with the word so, but children today don't know that. So, so buttons. That's what I used to be told. So, so buttons. Vav, and. You can't begin a sentence with the word and. And yet, our parsha, the sentence, this paragraph begins with the word and. Ve'ela, and these mishpatim. So what are we doing with the vav here? Why is the vav? So just as the earlier ones were said at Sinai, af elu, af elu mi Sinai. These two come from Sinai. What is the Torah, what is Rashi coming to tell us, coming to tell us here? So I want to offer you an interpretation. It's not an interpretation, it's clearly the Pashup Shat, and it is the really important, significant statement that the Torah is making. It's kind of the inverse of what we heard last night from Rav Weinberger. Last night, we had the privilege, hundreds and hundreds of people were here for an amazing Monday evening Tish Fabrengen with Rav Moshe Weinberger Shlita, who was incredible. It was a beautiful, beautiful evening in celebration of our Beis Medrash. And Rav Weinberger, the thesis of this talk last night was that the, all relationships in life, be it with a spouse, be it with children, and also in our relationship with the Almighty, there is a duality, there is a parallel relationship we're in simultaneously. There's what he coined the Ve'ela HaMishpatim relationship, the rules, the regulations, the do's, the don'ts, the contract, the responsibility... There's the Ve'ela Mishpatim. And there's also what he called the Shira Shirim component, which is the romantic, the loving, the intangible, the feeling, the heart component of the relationship. His emphasis last night was that, of course we're accountable for what we do, and the rules matter, and there's consequences to our behavior, the Ve'ela Mishpatim. But, and he talked about it in the context of the marriage counseling, he does, when a marriage has Ve'ela Mishpatim, 
he's changing the bulbs and she's making dinner and he's bringing in a paycheck and she's taking care of kids or she's taking in the paycheck, he's taking care of kids, whatever the case may be. Each party's doing their part on the Ve'el Mishpatim. Here's the contract, here are the rules we're following, but there's no shirashim, there's no romance, there's no love, there's no spark, there's no spirit. And that was his emphasis last night. How do we find, how do we in some cases introduce, in other cases reintroduce or revive a sense of shirashirim, a romantic love, not just do's and don'ts, but to feel and to have passion in all the relationships we have in life, most importantly with Hashem. But I think that the Eilah Mishpatim and the Vav here is teaching us the opposite's also true. Sometimes, and I think we're vulnerable to this in our world, people crave spirituality. Spirituality, I'm tapping into spirituality. But you know, spirituality is not just in the Kumzitz moment or the Tish or the Fabrengen. Spirituality is not just the beautiful sunrise or the beautiful sunset. It's not just the kumbaya moment. Spirituality is not just when you've had a lachayim or one too many and you feel you, something touching your spirituality. That's lovely and it's important and it's wonderful. But in Judaism and Yahadus, our Torah defines spirituality in its application and execution to the mundane. In the ve'elah hamishpatim. So it's kind of not... not God forbid, rejecting or responding to last night to Rav Weinberger, it's the other half, it's the other side. And there has to be a balance between the two. There are some who are obsessed with the Eilam Mishpatim. They can repeat the Lamites Malachas and they can quote Shulchan Aruch by heart. They know all the rules and regulations. They know the Chumras and the Das Yachid, the minority opinion, and they're strict in every law. And they're obsessed with an emphasis on the Eilam Mishpatim. And there needs to be a little romance, a little passion. A little bit of a relationship reintroduced. But there's other people who are obsessed with the relationship. Rabbi, what do you bother me with the details and the minutiae and the laws? You think God really cares about that? He cares that I love Him. And He loves me. And kumbaya. And that love is also important, but how do you show love? Rav Weinberger didn't get into it last night, but there's also relationships where there's flowers and chocolates and cards. But when you say, could you take out the garbage... Can you be home with the kids? Can you help with bad time and bedtime? Can you live up to your end of the deal of the Eilam Mishpatim? When that half is also missing, all the romance and love and statements and gestures of passion also fall way short. Vav, ve'ela, the Vav HaChibor. Just like at Sinai, it was the ultimate Fabrengen. We Fabrenged with the Ribbon Shalom himself. Anochi Hashem Elokecha. We had this incredible moment with Hashem. Just like that was Misinai. It tapped into our neshama. Just like that was spiritual spirituality. What do we do when Moshe comes off the mountain? We don't schedule the next kumzitz or davening under the stars or minion at the beach or the next kumbaya moment. What's the very next parasha? Civil law, tort law, criminal law, detailed law, tzedaka law, financial law. Boring. Like the most... Boring, technical, detailed. This parsha is the equivalent, and I struggle to prepare this parsha because 90% of it are these laws. Imagine how full would this room be if I announced we're going to be reading the American legal system encyclopedia and we'll be reading the laws of damages and finances. And I'd be sitting here all by myself, me, myself, and I. It's boring. Now, it's not boring. We bring it to life. It's Torah. It's fascinating. It's the will of Hashem. It's His description and prescription for how we interact in His world. Of course, it's not boring. But it's boring. 
It's technical. It's detailed. It's difficult. And unless someone packages it in an exciting way with intellectual gymnastics and lumdus, it's challenging. But you know what? So is taking out the garbage and making dinner and paying the electric bill and servicing the car and all the things that marriage and that life and that relationships are made up of. And Yisro and Mishpatim back to back remind us that Judaism is made up of those two components. There's the Yisro. There's the being on top of the mountain. There's the spirituality. There's the high. And then there's the ve'ilah ha-mishpatim. Here are the laws. Rabbi Salavechik describes this in his Chumash. Following the giving of the Ten Commandments, the Torah should have proceeded immediately with chapter 24, in which God tells Moshe to seal the covenant with the people. This is followed by the construction of the Mishkan, which was required step toward the fulfillment of the divine promise. Parashat Mishpatim, however, represents a dramatic departure from these themes. Instead of continuing with the revelation, there is an, interp- there is an interruption. Parashat Mishpatim, with its many detailed laws of Nezikin, seems to depart from the context. Apparently, Parashat Mishpatim is an interpretation of the Ten Commandments. Without Parashat Mishpatim, there can be no kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What a powerful statement from the Rav. Without Parshas Mishpatim, there can be no kingdom of priests and holy nations. Almost all the fundamental principles of mitzvahs may be found here. Meaning, we are an example and we teach the world. Not when we sit and have a kumzitz, that too. When we display passion in our relationship with Hashem, that's an important lesson for the world. But we've transformed the world with our Judeo teachings of justice and charity and kindness, are Parshas Mishpatim. Don't neglect the widow and orphan. Don't charge interest. Lend the poor person. All these laws that define an ethical and moral society, what it means to be a mamlechas konim, a kadosh, a nation of priests, and a holy people, is not just walking around, spirituality, amazing, kumbaya. It's ve'ilah ha-mishpatim. It's how do you construct and sustain, support and protect a moral and ethical society. Parshas Mishpatim lays out a framework for civil law. Why should the Torah address the question of financial commitments? Why should the Torah care about the situation of a paid or unpaid watchman? Parshas Mishpatim discusses issues of kinyanim acquisitions and chazakas, presumptions of ownership, and shtar. These monetary issues would seem to be out of place in a moral code. The conclusion then is that civil law carries religious significance. Destruction of property and trespassing are not merely violations of civil law, but moral transgressions. You didn't pay the babysitter and you sent her home or dropped her off and said, I'll get you the money later. That's a Torah violation. That's not just a financial violation. It's a moral violation. You have workers and you don't pay them in time. You know, there's this Hamish attitude in some Hamish institutions of not paying on time. As if it's just accepted, that's the culture. Those Hamish employees come to rabbis in their discretionary funds to be able to afford to make Pesach. It should be intolerable. It's unacceptable. Torah institutions represent Torah. There's a Torah law that you can't not pay your worker on time. Whatever it takes. Whoever signed on, whoever are the officers of such an institution, have a legal and moral responsibility to pay people on time. These are not financial laws. These are moral laws. And that's what the Torah with the letter Vav is telling us. Just like this was from Sinai, so too that is from Sinai. This is not just random financial law. This is moral code. This is what it means to have a moral society. If one studies the law of the Avodah and Yom Kippur, the laws of Shofar and Rosh Hashanah, there's a fulfillment of studying in Yoni Bidioma. But the study of Perachesca Sabatim, the laws of a squatter's rights, or the study of Shnai Moks and Betalas, 
two people seize a garment on these holy days is no less exalted. Even though such study may not constitute Yon Ediyelma, it fulfills the mitzvah of Torah study. Parshas Mishpatim was introduced at this particular point in the Torah to demonstrate that these civil laws are in fact religious laws. The religious laws. The last Mishnah in Baba Basra states that if one wishes to become a scholar, he should study civil monetary laws. I gave a shir on Sunday morning from the Slana Rebbe about this. It's online if you want to listen. But the Gemara there, it's in Baba Basra and Baba Kama. The Gemara says, Hi man de boy, a person who wants to become a chassid. What do you have to learn? It's three opinions. One opinion is you want to become a chassid, you want to be righteous. You want to be called a righteous person. So what do you have to study? Brachos. If you learn how to make brachos, this we study on Wednesday mornings in our Amunah Shir. Right now we're learning about Birchas Nenin. A hundred times a day, Maya brachos b'choyom. Ma'ashem alakecha. What does God want from you? A hundred times a day. I give the example. That's a lot of times a day. Imagine your spouse says, you know, in order to feel connected to you and in order to not be suspicious of you, I need you to send me a hundred texts a day checking in to tell me how you're doing. That's, that's difficult. A hundred times a day. But the Rebbe Shalom says, you're living in a world where I'm invisible and I'm imperceivable and I'm inaccessible. And so how do I know that you really know I'm here? A hundred times a day, send me a text message to check in. It's called a bracha. A hundred times a day, you'll connect with me. You'll feel my presence. You'll see me in this world a hundred times a day. So one opinion is you want to be a chassid, learn brachos. Learn brachos. And that makes a lot of sense. Another opinion is you want to be a chassid, learn pirkei avos. Speaks to your character. That makes sense. But the other opinion is, if you want a high man you want to be a chassid, learn what happens if when you're pulling out of the co grove, you backed into someone else and you banged into their car. You were in front, they were behind. They're from New York. You're from Florida. <laughs> Whose fault is it? Who was aggressive? Who was passive? Which direction? The dent? Who has to pay for it? And if you learn that, you'll become a chassid. And the Rav here is noting how bizarre that third opinion is. I understand brachos and I understand avos. And again, we give a whole share on Sunday from the Slana Rebbe, offering three interpretations of what does that mean, study mila dinazikin. But here Rabbi Soloveitchik says, the study of these topics sharpens the mind and allows development of precision and depth. The study of Nezikin inspires the one who studies, helping him develop his intuition and intellect. There's a special capacity which the Almighty implanted in Nezikin that inspires at both the emotional and intellectual level. The best form of Rishonim and Achronim were in the area of Nezikin. I don't know if you're supposed to have favorites among the Rishonim and Akronim, but if the Rav did, it was in the area of Nezikin. Because when you sharpen your mind about what is moral and how we interact financially and how we interact not to damage one another, not to injure one another, that leads to a much more moral society. So anyway, the opening of the parasha and really the introduction, because this is a long, detailed litany of technical laws and we could have a parasha class where we discuss them and we analyze them and we show the progress from a Pasuk through a Mishnah, Gemara, Rishonim, Achronim, and how that becomes Halacha. And that's all fascinating. But it all begins with the understanding. The compliment to last night, to Rav Weinberger's Tish, to the Fabrengen last night, is that yes, Shirashirim is important. Kumbaya, spirituality, our Neshama on fire, passion and romance. We have to send the Rebbe Shalom flowers and cards and chocolates and show him that we love him and use that language of love and reintroduce passion. But you also can't walk out of a passionate davening in shul and go to work where you left Hashem behind in shul. And there's no honesty or integrity. You don't people up on time. You cut corners, you're corrupt, you're immoral, you're unethical. You hit someone's car, you ding, you don't leave a note, you don't find the owner, you don't compensate... You can't have religious passion and not see that executed or applied outside of shul in 
in the rest of life, and that's the Eila Hamishpatim, the Vav Hachibor. The first part of the parsha is the passage that deals with the Eved Ivri, the Allah of the individual who stays enslaved. We don't have an Eved Ivri today, and this whole part of the parsha not only seems so irrelevant to us, so not contemporary to us, in many ways it seems so foreign to us and violates our our religious or moral sensibilities because we don't believe in slavery. Slavery was abolished and the notion, the idea that there are slaves is very troublesome. So now is not the time, but we have to understand that the slavery that Tsar is depicting is not the same type of slavery where you own an individual, they are your object. And we're talking now about the Eved Ivri. Granted, Eved Kanani is much more complicated. But what the Eved Ivri is a rehabilitation program. It's not slavery. Eved Ivri should not be translated as the Jewish slave. It should be translated as... Rehabilitation project. When a person stole money and they don't have the funds to make the other person whole, or the person is in whatever predicament or situation that they need to live in another home in a rehabilitation center and offer their work in exchange for rehabilitation. They're learning how to take responsibility. They're learning how to live. And not only are they not treated as an object, as a slave, halacha demands and dictates that the mentor in this rehabilitation program to this Eved Ivri, has to treat the Eved Ivri better than himself. Tosos famously says, if there's one pillow, and either the master can use it or his Eved Ivri, it goes to the Eved Ivri. And the goal is after six years to graduate the, the rehabilitation project, and rather than give a man a fish, teach him how to fish, to graduate and to learn to live independently and take responsibility and be on his own. And that's why it's so terrible that if after six years, the person says, you know, I love rehab so much, I have no interest in graduating. My mentor, and everyone takes responsibility, and I have room and board, and I'm being taught, and if there's one pillow, I get it, and I don't want to leave. I love it. I'm not going anywhere. So what do we do? We take his take him to the doorpost and we pierce his ear and we said, this ear that heard at Harsinai either don't steal and he stole and didn't have the money to compensate or this ear that heard at Harsinai we're supposed to only be enslaved to God and not enslaved, not submit and serve other people. That ear didn't hear too well. So we got to give it another hole so it hears a little better. And we pierce the ear and that's why the ear, not the tongue or the eyebrow, the cheek or whatever other weird places people are piercing these days, but specifically we pierce the ear, because the ear should have heard and the ear should have known better. Reb Lebele Eger, whose yurt site was yesterday, as Reb Weinberger mentioned last night, Reb Lebele Eger writes that the first commandment of the Aseris Adibros, Anochi, is to believe that we can get all of our needs from Hashem. And the first mitzvah of Parshat Mishpatim is the law of Ever Ivri, to remind us that we are Hashem's servants and enslaved solely to Him. So the law of Eved Ivri, though it doesn't apply in our generation, its message is eternal. That we shouldn't enslave ourselves to anyone or anything else. That's the opening lesson of the Eila Mishpatim. Anochi, we spoke last Shabbos, the two Anochis. The first of the Aseris Adibros Anochi, which all of Torah can be summarized in that Anochi. The Ten Commandments reduced to the first. Taryag reduced to the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments reduced to the first. And the first reduced to the opening word, Anochi, I am Hashem. And to serve his anochi, not our anochi, not our sense of self, or not our ego. And when we talk here about not being an Eved, why the ear? We're only supposed to serve Hashem, not serve the iPhone, 
not serve the mighty dollar, not serve the Super Bowl, not serve celebrities, not serve pop culture, not serve power, fame, money, likes, follows, not follow any other source of power or attraction or addiction. A master can come in many forms. And there are many who are living in the magnificent United States of America that provides liberty and freedom for all. We're not physically enslaved to any. And yet, there are many walking around with a ball and chain and a leash around their neck and they are enslaved to habits and substances and behaviors and poor decision. And that's what the Torah is reminding us, Evid Ivri. Don't submit. Don't enslave yourself. Don't be a subject to anyone else. Don't be subject to fashion, pop culture. Don't be a subject to whatever is popular at the time. Avada avadam avadam. We are exclusively servants. We submit <coughs> only and singularly to the Ribbonu Shalom. Avadam, avadahem avadam avadam. And our ear needs to hear that. Islam Rebbe reinterprets this Pasuk and says, what does the Pasuk say? The Evadivri says, Haftiyas Adoni, Esishtiva banai. He says, I love my master. I also love my wife and my children. So what do we do? We, we bring him close, take him to the doorpost. So Hasidus reinterprets this to say, not the negative, the way the Torah is writing it, but in the positive. Homiletically. This is Hasidus at its best. Drush. And Hasidus says, what happens? We should aspire to say, Adoni, Ado, I love Hashem. I love Him so much. Eh, my wife, my children, not means my literal, my wife and my children, means the material world, the physical world. Eh, they're secondary. They're secondary. But primarily, Adoni, I love my master. How can I serve Him forever? Pierce our ear. We have to listen even more carefully to the message. The notion of opening our ears and listening to the message of Torah are the two bookends of our Parsha. They are the theme that our Parsha both begins and ends. We begin with the story of the Abed Ivri, who didn't listen well enough or carefully enough, so we make a second hole in his ear. And the Torah ends, I referenced it last night, with Hashem says to Moshe, take the bris and place it ha'am. put it in the ears of the people. We have to hear the messages of Torah that continue to reverberate. Torah was given thousands of years ago but it continues to reverberate. It continues to ring in our ears, but is our antenna extended? Can we pick up, do we have reception to pick up its messages? When we don't, we've got to make another hole in our ear, figuratively. We have to fine-tune our reception to pick up the message of Torah, which is supposed to continue to reverberate in our ear. So it opens with the story of the Evet Ivri. <coughs> We're not going to go in our summary now through all the detailed laws. Obviously, there are so, so many in Parshas Mishpatim. It's incredible. The halachas of the status of a young woman, relationship with her father, who has a right to the work of her hand, who can, so to say, sell her. The halacha maki ish what happens if you kill someone? Maki ava mos special emphasis on a relationship, respect and honor to parents. Makalal ava mos cursing one's parents is a capital crime. You're not allowed to damage parents. Maki ava So there's a whole halachic literature of what happens every proud Jewish parent who's got the Jewish doctor child and now wants to save on the copay? You put the kid through medical school, the least they could do is forgive the copay. You want to go see your own kid as a doctor. But what happens if the child's going to draw blood? Chovel, 
Maka of Avima is going to create chavala, is going to hurt the parent. Can one have their child as their doctor? What's the halacha? Rav Sif Frank, the Hart Tzvi has a tshuva about this in the case of a dentist. I think it's in the case of a dentist. There's a whole halachic literature about it. Is there an equivalent doctor who you can go to so you don't encounter this halachic dilemma? Maybe you have to go to the equivalent doctor. If your child is a better doctor or will treat you better, will have more concern. Maybe they'll want to cause you more pain or draw more blood. It depends on your relationship with your child. But chovel, there's a problem of maka of v'imo, all derived from this pasuk. What happens when there's, um, when there's violence, when there's conflict between people, what's the halacha? <coughs> what happens if a man is fighting with a, and collides with a pregnant woman and she miscarries, but there's no fatality? He's punished as the husband of the woman caused to be assessed against him, and he pays it by order of the judge. So there's no casualty. So Halacha learns from here an interesting principle. We went through this in our Shasa Gishir on Mondays, in the Kolom, the afternoon Kolom. This is the Halachic principle called Kimle Bidraminei. Kimle Bidraminei means sort of a double jeopardy. If I, am vi- if I violate something which brings with it several punishments, I only incur the more severe punishment and the lesser is forgiven. How do you know that? From this Pasuk. What does the Pasuk say? On page 422 in the Art Scroll Stone. Two people are fighting and a pregnant woman is hit and there's, not, there's no fatality, you pay. So what is the Pasuk suggesting? If there is a fatality, which is a capital crime, and therefore there's a capital punishment, you have to give your life, then you don't pay. Which is a bizarre halacha, Kim if on the books, technically I violated several things that bring several consequences, why shouldn't I have to suffer all those consequences? Kimla Rabine means that if, if A shoots B and kills B and is now liable for death penalty for killing B, but the children of B say, you know, we lost our father, but you know what else we lost? The wonderful fleece he was wearing. It was a one of a kind. And you put a bullet hole right through it and it's drenched in blood. So put him to death, and from his estate, reimburses for the cost of the fleece. I'm still hung up on the fleece. So, does he have to pay for the fleece as well as give his life? No, he gives his life. Well, why not? Why shouldn't he have to pay for the fleece? I'll go even further. What happens if A is running after B to kill him, and kills B, but in the process, knocked over somebody's vegetable cart? That's always the scene, is, you know running over somebody's turning over, flipping over the vegetable cart while running after in pursuit and killing B. And successfully kills B. So the fact that he receives the capital punishment for killing B, why should that exempt him from having to pay C for destroying his parnasa, his store, his vegetable cart, when he killed him? We have halachic principle killing b'dramine. What is the lambdus? What is the analysis? What is the halachic thinking behind killing b'dramine? Why should that law exist? So we discussed it in the afternoon call for two or three weeks. It's fascinating, it's exciting, there's so much to understand what is the core of that law and what are the different consequences that result in the different ways you can understand it. Is it that really when you incur the greater punishment, it includes the lesser punishment? Or is it when you incur the greater punishment, we forgive the lesser punishment? Two ways of viewing it. In other words, let's say somebody was driving drunk, and God forbid they killed somebody while they were driving drunk. But it also turned out that their license expired. Or it turned out their tag expired, their license plate expired, they didn't re-register their car. So do we say, you know what, I'll tell you what. The fact that you get in the electric chair, that's, we'll consider that your, your, your license plate expired is covered. 
that's covered by getting the electric chair. It's included. Or do we say that you're exempt? And what's the nafkamina? What's the difference between the two? I'm just giving you an example where there's a pasuk in the parsha in which you derive an entire principle kinum denaminei, and we apply it across shas, and we struggle. We have to understand how does it help the vegetable car guy that that you got the electric chair that covers the license expired, so you got the electric chair for killing B, so that covers the fact that I just lost five thousand dollars because you ran over my vegetable cart. How does that make me feel better? This is actually a very powerful hashkafic approach is that the person with the vegetable cart should realize that Hashem is the one who determined he should lose his vegetable cart. And the murderer who was running after the victim was just the vehicle, the shliach of Hashem, who took away his parnasa, his vegetable cart. But There are many agents or messengers of Hashem. And so even though you can't hold, thank you, even though you can't hold that person accountable, you should realize that that comes from Hashem. You couldn't have lost your parnasa, your vegetable cart, if Hashem didn't will it. So if it happened, it's only because Hashem willed it. And if Hashem willed it, you shouldn't be bitter that you couldn't hold the other person accountable. Powerful hashkafic lesson that comes from here. Again, just another example. Torah goes on and it talks about uh, the damages of one, one's ox gores another ox. What happens if your dog escapes and bites somebody or damages someone? All these halachas, the four different types of damages our responsibility to guard and to protect. And then you get to interpersonal laws. Page 430. The laws of... Actually, go back. I want to talk about Varapo Yirapeh for a second because of the article I wrote last week. Perech Chaval of Pasuk Yutes, Chapter 21, verse 19. The Torah tells us something very important here. In Yakum Nisalech Bachutz Amishanto. If he gets up and goes about outside under his own power, the one who struck is absolved. Only for his lost time should he pay. And we know that there are several things that if one person damages another, they have to cover. Lost compensation, they have to cover medical expenses, cover embarrassment or shame that was incurred, and so on and so forth. So one of the things they have to cover is medical expenses. So the Chazal derived from here, if you have to cover medical expenses, what does that suggest about medical expenses? They are legitimate. In other words, why can't the, why can't the perpetrator say to the victim, I'm not covering your medical expenses. If you really were a person of faith, you'd stay at home, you'd to Hashem that you heal and get better. And that's what a person of faith does. You, of low faith, you pathetic Isfar, feel you have to go to a doctor to get healed? What do I have to pay for that? That's a failure in your faith, an inadequacy in your own emun and bitachon. If you had real emun and bitachon, you'd stay home, zog tehillim, and you'd get better. The Torah doesn't say that. What does it say? Reimburse me. Here's my medical expense. Why? Because the whole medical industry and medical expense and medicine is legitimate. And not only is medicine legitimate, medicine is mandated. Listen to what Rabbi Soloveitchik says. Because I had a recent exchange with a beloved friend and colleague, I met with him yesterday, who just has a very, very different view on something which I think has lethal and fatal consequences, the issue of vaccines, which I am not touching with a 10-foot pole right now, but the meta-issue to that discussion is, do we have a right to say, you know, Shomer Psalm Hashem, that I'll take the risk, and I believe in Hashem, and I put my faith in Hashem. Is that an appropriate and correct way of living? So, B'Salavetshik writes on Varapo Yirapeh, on this phrase, Chazal say, this teaches us, it's a Gemara in Brachos, Daf Samach Aleph, it's a Gemara in Babakama, Daf Pei Aleph, Debe Rabbi Yishmol Omev, Rapo Yirapei, Mikan, 
Shenitein Rashus Lerofe Lerapos. From here we learn that permission is given to a doctor that a doctor can heal. Why does a doctor need permission to heal? A doctor needs permission to go to halachic permission to go to medical school and to hang a shingle to open an office and to apply therapy, to diagnose, to prescribe, to heal, to do surgery. Why does a doctor need permission to heal? You only need permission when you would think that something should be forbidden. So why would you think it would be forbidden for a doctor to heal? Anyone? There's a halachic argument or objection you might have to a doctor healing, and there is a meta-halachic or a hashkafic argument you might have objecting to a doctor healing. What are they? So the halachic argument would be that we have a pro- prohibition of the Torah, which is read in our parish of Chavala. You're not allowed to hurt or damage another person. When you draw blood, it's on Shabbos. Chavala is one of the Lamites Malachas, and it's a Machlokas Rishonim. Which Malacha, which Av Malacha is it? According to some, it's Ntilas Neshama. When you draw blood or you cause a black and blue mark, it's the beginning of taking someone's life. Blood is our life source, Kiadamu Nefesh, and when you draw blood or create a black and blue mark, which is breaking a blood vessel beneath the skin, when you can begin to draw blood, you've taken a portion of their life. You've begun to murder. Murder is not all or nothing. There are stages of murder. And when you draw blood, you've begun to murder. So chaval is asr. You're not allowed to be chovel. Not only is chaval asr, chovel ba'atzmo is asr. I once gave a shir on boxing. Are Jews allowed to be boxers? There are many prominent Jewish boxers. Not today. But there were many prominent Jewish boxers. In, uh, in the early 20th century in America, are Jews halachically allowed to be boxers? Yimi chovel someone else, chovel ba'atzmo. Are you allowed to be mochel on chavala? Can you say it's okay? You could punch me and draw blood. You could create a black and blue mark. So there's a halachic prohibition of chavala. So you might say to the doctor, you can't cut someone open. You can't give a shot. You can't remove a skin cancer. You can't. That's chavala. That the doctor doesn't have to worry about violating chavala because he's given rishus. Chavala in the context of healing, damaging for the purpose of healing, is not called damaging, it's called healing. And how do we know that? What right do we have to derive that? Pasuk is teaching me. What's the hashkafic argument that you might have thought that a doctor is not entitled to heal? Illness is punitive, but put more sharply, who are you to override the will of the Almighty? Hashem has determined that this person should have this illness, should suffer from this sickness, and you're going to change Hashem's reality? You're playing God? You're trying to play God? So the Shalom says, no, you're not playing God. God has granted you the license and given you the permission. We don't know why God creates illness or, or gives illness or sickness, but he also gives us the tools and the resources to heal it. And that too we learn from This is from Rashi and Tosas there in Babu Kama. Rashi says, We don't say, Hashem made him sick and you're going to heal him? We don't say that. Because Hashem gave us Rishus. Tosas says the same thing. Tosu says, Maybe I think a doctor can only heal an injury that was caused by man. But when Hashem made someone sick, 
That's the will of God. Don't interfere. Don't intervene. So on this, Rabbi Salavitchik writes, the Rambam rules that healing the sick is not only permissible, the Rambam perish from Mishnah the Dharam. Healing the sick is not only permissible, but mandatory. It's obligatory. It's not just that you're allowed to. And, and uh, it's okay if you want. But rather you have to. The Shulchan Aruch adds, He who withholds service is, consider, services is considered as if you were shedding blood. Shulchan Aruch If a physician advises an old person to eat on Yom Kippur, he is to be obeyed even if the patient wishes otherwise. To prolong life and enhance its quality are dignified and noble endeavors. The Torah supports scientific research in the healing arts and sanctions the physician's role. Clearly, sickness and death are not to be accepted with complacency as divine decrees, but are to be resisted on the premise that the Creator wishes us to utilize all resources to preserve life and health. We cannot defeat death, but we can alleviate its effect upon us, both medically and psychologically, to limit its frequency and terror. Longevity can be expected through humane initiative. And that is why perhaps Hashem put at our disposal such powerful means as our intellect, our capacity for controlling nature. Not only can man interfere, but man should interfere and subdue the environment to his interests and needs. Halacha idealizes scientific intervention on behalf of man in his desperate struggle for control of his environment at all levels. Halacha also preaches active opposition to evil. That's why the halacha cannot understand. And not only halacha, but we Jews cannot understand a philosophy of passive resistance to evil. It cannot assimilate a philosophy preached by Gandhi and then by Nehru not to combat evil actively, not to fight evil the way Yaakov engaged in combat with the mysterious antagonist. We are to be Hashem's partners in creation. It's also Gemara based on this week's parsha. Any judge who's done din la'amito, if you establish truth, if you hold up justice to truth, you're Hashem's partner in creation. Hashem created an imperfect world so that there's room for us to step in and be His partners in perfecting it. He said in the very moment of creation, go and propagate and promulgate and fill the world and conquer it. Study biology and chemistry and physics. Experiment in laboratories. Innovate and invent. Use your creativity and conquer my world. Invent medicines and therapies. Go through the journey of discovery. To sit back and say that we don't take advantage of the gifts we've been given to eliminate deadly illnesses and we'll put our trust in Hashem is not an act of faith. It's an act of heresy. We were given the gift of discovery, of ingenuity, of using our creativity, of our intellect, of our minds, Vikivshua, to go conquer and manipulate the world and use it to preserve life and extend life and heal life and protect life from illnesses that if left unvaccinated would infect and did take millions of lives previously. It's not an act of faith to ignore, it's an act of faith to practice. There's another opinion that Panam Yafa says, what does Verapo Yerape mean? It's getting late. He says, Shinit Roshus Lorofa Lorapas Hara Machalam Shabbos Apikuach Nefesh. El Shaisa Omer Asalikach Tzchar, Ze Kedin Komitz Vashasalasos Bizchar. So we know that saving a life supersedes even observing Shabbos. Saving a life is so paramount, is so prioritized, is so important that it supersedes observing Shabbos. So you might say, yeah, but the doctor who saved a life by violating Shabbos, should he get paid for that? Get paid for working on Shabbos? So that's Rapo Yerapei, Shanitim Rishus L'Rofei L'Rapos. The Pasuk comes to teach me, Shetzoruch L'Shalim Schar HaRofei, Mutalitein Schar. V'atam Sheitira Torah, Sheyezareis HaRofei Berfuos. Because the doctor's going to say, 
I'm not even going to pay and I have to leave the Shabbos table and leave my family and give up the chalent and the kishka and I'm not even going to be reimbursed for my time, you know what? I'm not going. And that moment of pause, that moment of hesitation could cost a life. None of our doctors would say that in our shul. I'm just saying. Could be other doctors would say that. So that moment of pause or hesitation could, could lose a life. Even on Shabbos and even to get paid for it. That's the part of Yafos's Chiddush. Rav Moshe has an enormous Chiddush. Rav Moshe Paskin had Salah members who volunteer, had Salah, whatever form of life-saving emergency, are allowed to come home on Shabbos. I understand they had to drive the ambulance to bring the patient to the hospital. I even understand the Hetter during the week to put on the lights and siren because you want to get to the pizza store faster than everyone else. <laughs> but what Hetter is there, what Hetter is there on Shabbos to come home? You drop off the patient, they're being treated in the emergency room, you're allowed to get in the car, turn on the ignition, and step on the gas pedal to get home? So Rav Moshe had what was a very, very radical psak, not agreed to at all by all, but relied on by Hatzalah until today. Rav Moshe said, you know why? Because that Hatzalah guy with all of his keychains and beepers and walkie-talkies is going to get the call that somebody's in dire circumstances and he's going to say, you know, but I, I don't want to miss Shalashidus and Shul. But lunch with my family, but the bar mitzvah I was supposed to attend, but this is the only day of the week I see my kids. So in that moment of hesitation or pause or perhaps even conclusion not to go, it could cost a life. Allowing the Hatzalah members to drive home is saving the next life because it will cause them to go. Saving a life is so paramount, is so important. We won't go through it now, but I once gave a shir on the corollary of our Gemara based on our Pasuk, is as much as we hold dire doctors in great esteem and they're granted license not only by the state or the boards, but by Hashem Himself to go heal, to go control the world, manipulate it, extend life, protect life, preserve life, but we also have to be very careful because the Gemara in Kedushin says, Tov Sheberofim Legehenim. The best of doctors are headed where? Gehenim. So what exactly does that statement mean? So there's a lot of different interpretations. Rashi, Marsha, the Ben Yoyadah, it's Yosef, but we'll run out of time. What does it mean? It's not a knock on doctors. Doctors are phenomenal, wonderful, virtuous, noble, generous, magnanimous, fantastic people. So what does it mean that most of them are going to Gehenna? It's worth, especially for doctors, to review the different interpretations of that, but for another time. Okay, continuing in our, in our parsha, when we get to Apsukim for our last 15 minutes. What are you murmuring about? I'm insulting all your kids? What's, what's, what are you worried about? You want me to tell you what the pshat is? Okay, we're not going to get to our Apsukim at the end then. Okay, so what does it mean? Most doctors are going to Gehenna. So Rashi writes... Rashi piles on. The Rambam, the Ramban, they were doctors, so they're going to be a little bit more careful with their interpretation on this. Rashi was a vinter, so he was sipping a glass of wine when he wrote this pshat and said about doctors, you know what the problem is? He says, the problem with doctors is, number one, they're going to think that they have such personal power to heal, they're not going to be as careful with their health. Number two is, they won't feel as connected to Hashem. There is a phenomenon, again, not in our community, but it's well known that there are many surgeons who are very arrogant. Because when you think I walk into a room where a person was about to die, and thanks to me, I walked out and they're alive, uh, they feel they're God, literally. They feel they're God. 
So that's the second thing. Their heart is not going to be given over to Hashem. And lastly, their arrogance could cause fatalities. That arrogance, thinking they're God, could cause cutting corners, being less vigilant or mindful, and could cause fatalities. And lastly, Rashi piles on, because a doctor could be yelling, what insurance do you have? HMO, PPO, copay, reimbursements are too little for that. I'll take that insurance. So what happens to the poor person who can't have their health covered? So tov shebaro from the Gehenna. That's a rough pshat. That's Rashi's pshat. Marsha says a different pshat. Rav Shmuel Aydel. The Marsha says, Yesh lefarish tov shebaro from dahino shemachzik atzmo letov ulemumcha shebaro from she'en kamohu v'somach biyosa al machaso mitoch keoso ulefamim hutoa beteva zachola u'memis zachola berfuasa bedavar shemazik lechola zeh aval yesh lo lisa valite nim shara rofim kevan shehusa kanas nefashos. The Marsha is much kinder. And the Marsha says, most doctors are wonderful and good and have great faith and they're humble. But you know, Tov Shebarofim, the best of doctors, they're going to get him. Why? Because Tov Shebarofim, the one who has the frames hanging, I've awarded Doctor of the Year the 400 years in a row, and I graduated summa cum laude, and I'm the best doctor in the world. So that doctor, because they're supposed to be the best doctor in the world. You know how long you have to wait to get in to see them? That doctor is the best in the world. Even in a complicated case, they'll never consult. They'll never get a second opinion. And because their arrogance, since they are tov shebarofim, since they hold themselves out to be tov shebarofim, if a doctor has an attitude that I am the tov shebarofim, I am the best among the doctors, they consult me, I don't consult them. I'm the second opinion, I don't get second opinions. Tov Shemarofim, the doctor who holds himself or herself out that they are the best in the, of doctors, Ligehenim. That doctor is going to Gehenim. So the Masha is much more generous. Most doctors, they're good to go. The doctor who knows their place, they're fine. But the Tov Shemarofim, that's the one who could have problems. The Ben Yehoyada has a different shot. Says the Ben Yehoyada, this is what I'm doing for you. We're going to be out of time, but this is for you. Tov Shemarofim. Okay, it says, He says, A doctor who's not so brilliant shouldn't hold himself out to have all the answers and don't prescribe very aggressive medications and therapies. Give the more proven and tested things, which even if it doesn't work, it won't be harmful. And don't think yourself so fancy, right? The Ben Yodo was writing before FDA testing phase one, phase two, phase three. He was writing before safety, efficacy studies. So what would doctors do then? They would experiment on their own. They would try things. So he says, Don't fancy yourself so brilliant, worthy of experimenting on other people's lives. Safe, secure, offer what you know is going to work. The arrogant doctor who thinks they're such an expert will sometimes over-medicate, will be inexact or imprecise in their prescription. You'll be so fast. I'm the best doctor. I have four 
seconds for every patient. I run in and out of the room, and just by looking at them, I can tell them what they need, and I run out and I prescribe, and I don't spend enough time, and I don't ask enough questions, and I don't listen with two full ears. What we spoke about last week, Pasha's Yisro, the importance of active listening. I'm already in the next patient's room, and I'm on my phone, and I'm talking to my stockbroker, and I'm ordering my new uh, Tesla convertible while I spend the three seconds with the patient, so I didn't really hear them right. And you know what? Because of that, that doctor who fancies himself Tov Shebarofim will be in Gehenna because it's people's lives they're playing with. Talking about life and death, these are Dine Nefashos. And, and a, a, there's no room for error. The margin for error, error is negligible. One little thing you didn't pick up on, you didn't hear, you weren't careful about. A delayed diagnosis, a delayed prescription, the wrong prescription. Yeah, the doctor gets all the credit for healing a life. And if the doctor did everything right, they bear none of the liability for losing a life. But if the doctor wasn't careful, what if the doctor didn't get enough of a night's sleep the night before? And now is not on their game, and because of that, the surgery or the, the visit or the diagnosis is imprecise. So tov shibarofim legehenim. Nobody wants to be a doctor by the end of this, but the responsibility on, on the doctor is enormous, is enormous. And lastly, the Eitz Yosef says the following. The Eitz Yosef says, Yesh rofim balei gaiva, hamis nafchim v'ne'alavim, shashach olorotzali malach b'dayto shalorofei nosim ilvadam. Rofim ke'ele yesh behem sakana. There are doctors who are arrogant and insecure that when the patient says, do you mind if I get a second opinion? You know, what, I'm, what going on the table for me is life and death. So if you don't mind... I trust you, you're brilliant. But more opinions, the more wisdom. And the doctor who will be insulted or injured by that and who will get rid of the patient or discourage the patient from it bears the responsibility and liability if there's a negative impact to the patient. He says, I'm the Tov Shibarofim. Don't you see what's hanging in my mother's refrigerator? It says, I won Doctor of the Year last year. And you're going to go get a second opinion about me? I'm the Tov Shibarofim. It doesn't get better than me. So someone who considers himself the Tov Shibarofim, Dino Ligehenim. Such a doctor who ever thinks he's the Tov Shibarofim should go to Gehenim. Rofik Ezele Olam Loyetzim in a Gehenim. Such a doctor will never get out of Gehenim. So, listen, you wanted me to tell you. That's what the different interpretations say. So the answer is, it's very simple. It's not a negative statement about doctors. Doctors are, it's a noble profession. They're incredible. They're selfless. It's incredible. They're absolutely special people. Really. We're very privileged in our shul. We have close to 200 doctors in our shul. Medical professionals. Absolutely incredible. The selflessness and the giving and whatever you think they paid, the underpaid and the risks and the education they went through. Doctors are absolutely incredible. The Gemara is not making a negative observation or statement about doctors. It's quite the opposite. We began this whole thing, if you remember way back when. is saying that the Torah God gives a license and said, doctors are amazing. You're not interfering with my will. You're carrying out my will. You are my agents. You are helping me complete the creation of the world. You're helping me repair the world. Doctors are the greatest as long as they remain humble. Doctors are the greatest as long as they remember where they came from. As long as they remember, they're just agents. They are not the shliach. The mishaleach, they're the shliach. So tov, the only statement the Gemara is making is, tov shebarofim. Only if you consider yourself, I'm the tov. I'm the best, there's nobody better than me. 
and I am responsible, and I take the credit for the success. So such an attitude, only when one says, Tov, Shibarofim, such a doctor should go to Gehenim. Is going to Gehenim, should go good to Gehenim. H-E double hockey sticks, as my kids would say. That's what the, uh, we don't talk like that, but the Gemara talk like that. What can I do? Okay, we have very few minutes left. Very few minutes left. So, instead of going through the Pesukim I was going to go through, I'll just tell you a quick, few quick more Divrei Torah. Does that work? Okay, good. I was going to even if you said no, so. It's good you said yes. So we're going through. So we have the different laws of damages. We have the laws of Shomrim, the responsibility. Shomer Chinam, Shomer Sachar, Shoal, and so on. And Sachar, we have the four different types of guards. If I ask you to watch my object for free, what kind of liability? Torah here describes the notion of responsibility, of taking ownership. And depending on my status as a Shomer, determines the level of liability that I take. If you paid me to watch your thing, I have a much greater, higher level of liability if something happens. If I'm doing you a favor, I'm a shomachinam, do you mind? If I'm a shol, if I borrow and I get all the rights to benefit from it, I have the highest level of liability. So the degree to which I take responsibility and I gain personal benefit from its use determines my exposure and liability and responsibility for that object. Geneva v'aveda, what if it's stolen, what if it's lost? What if it's damaged, but something that happened by accident? Is it something that got damaged, but it happened with negligence? These are questions that come up every single day. And they too are part of the moral code of, of Torah and Halacha. We put out the sheet every week. I'm sure many of you see or subscribe, the Business Ethics or whatever it's called, the Business Institute, the Halacha Business Institute. I forgot the name of it. Every week it is a fascinating business dilemma. Dealing with these things. I lent someone my car. Somebody stayed in my apartment over Yeshiva week and the pipe burst. They live beneath me, but it went through the floor. Who's got to pay? The car had the thing. Every, so we don't just come to these conclusions from our own intuition and instinct. We have a Torah and halacha. This goes back to how we began. We have a whole system of Torah and halacha that regulates, that dictates what we do. The Chazanish has a sefer called Amuna Ubitacham. Everyone knows that sefer because of the essay in it called Amuna Ubitacham. He has a wonderful essay we studied a few years ago in our Amuna Shir, the whole, the whole chapter on Amuna Bitachon. The Chazanish really redefines what Bitachon is. It's a very, very important essay he has. But it's only one essay in a book that has five or six essays. And another essay, I think, is such critical reading for our children. Anyone learning in yeshiva, anyone getting a Jewish education, any adult who continues to engage in Torah study. And in that other essay, he deals with the following question. Why learn Torah? Why learn Torah? Why learn about these damages? You have children or grandchildren, or maybe you later today are going to go and open up a Gemara and learn these technical, detailed, minutiae, laws, damages. Really, who cares? If I guard it for free, then I, and so it gets stolen, then I'm not responsible. But if you paid me to guard it, but what if a shoal, what if I lend something to you, but I'm there when it got damaged? Then you're not responsible because Balavimo, I happen to beat such technical, detailed laws. Why are we studying that? Why is that noble? Why is it kihem chayenu? That's our life. I understand when you study Seder Moed and you learn Mesechus Brochus. I'm learning all about davening and making Brochus. I learn, learn I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning Megillah. Purim's coming up, so I'm learning to interpret Megillah's Esther and I'm learning the laws of Purim and how to tap into the energy of Purim and then Psachim and I learn Sukkah and Yuma and Rosh Hashanah. I get it. But Nezikin and the Rav said, correctly referencing the Gemara, you want to become a chassid, you have to learn Nezikin. What is it about Nezikin? So the Chazanish says the following. You know why we're learning this? What we're trying to tap into is the notion 
that this is Hashem's world. And we are puppets, we're pawns, we're actors on the stage of Hashem's world. And we don't get to write the next scene. We do legislate or adjudicate law based on our own intuition or instinct, based on our boich. It's not what we feel, what we think, what makes sense to us. We are here to reveal, and we're here to apply the will of Hashem. He gave us His blueprint, He gave us His manual, His instruction guide for this world. And when I sit and I study about the Dalit Shomrim, the four types of, of Shomrim, of, of people who guard objects, I'm not, and I'm supposed to, this is what the Chazanish writes, but our educational system fails to do it. Every Gemara Shir should end with saying, and how better do we now understand, in what way do we better understand Hashem's vision for this world? What did it teach me about property, about possession, about liability, about responsibility? What did learning, what did Makos, what did it teach me about the moral living and lifestyle in this world? What does it mean to have ownership? What does it mean to take responsibility? What does it mean to be a shomer? What does it mean to have liability? What are accidents that couldn't, didn't have to happen, accidents that had to happen? The process of studying Torah should not be removed from being a religious activity. It is the ultimate religious activity. Talmud Torah can make it cool though. But it rises to be that ultimate religious activity when we connect it with Hashem. That's what we're failing to do. So our children are like, it's boring. Gemara is boring. What do I want to learn Gemara? I can't wait to get rid of it, to be done with it, to take my final, to graduate. And how many, tragically, of our young people never open a Gemara again and don't connect to it because it was never taught in a religious context the way the Chazanish writes. That, so Rav Kook supposedly said, The Mishnah says, two people are holding a talus. This one says, it all belongs to me. The other one says, it all belongs to me. Rav Kook would read the Mishnah, And the Ribbon Hashem says, what's the ethical and moral thing to do? We've got to bring the Ribbon the language of Hashem, back into the classroom. The Shir Shirim into the Ve'ela HaMeshpatim. We've got to, while we're talking about these detailed minutial laws, realize that we're not just having some intellectual gymnastics, some debate based on our own instinct or intuition. We're trying to reveal what is Hashem's vision for His world. And how do these laws teach and tell us about what these principles are morally and ethically? Ownership, liability, responsibility, and so on and so forth. All that is within Parshish Mishpatim. So even if you don't get into the nitty-gritty, you don't get into the weeds of Parshish Mishpatim, the details of the laws, you, even if you don't get past the opening letter, the Vav, Ve'ela HaMishpatim, this is such an incredible Parsha just because of one letter. This Parsha is brought to you by the letter Vav. Ve'ela HaMishpatim. The letter Vav. It's not just about the Shira Shirim, it's about the highs and the spirituality. It's not just about the amazing davening or the tish or the kumzits you had in shul. It's what happens when you walk out of shul. How do you behave to pay the babysitter or the teachers or the workers? Are you honest at work? Do you gossip? What do you, what do you charge fair prices or do you extort others? How do we act and engage in the world? Do we take responsibility? Are we injuring or damaging others? Ve'elavav. That's also where we show where a Mamlachas Kohanim, the Goy Kadosh. Have a great day.